Welcome to the Christian Atheists, where faith and reason fuse in the incarnation. Chat with our friend Raymond Mulholland. Ray, thanks for joining us. We are excited to have you here after having known one another quite well online, back and forth, in the trenches, fighting the battles together. And let's see, I think you've contributed a total of five different things to our different podcasts. Two things, I believe, to our Simple Gifts podcast, ways to deal with life's problems. I'd have to look up the date when they were. I'm not sure myself. But if you look under Ray Holland on the uh, search bar, you'll find it. And is Jesus the begotten Son of God? And then three episodes on the Christian Atheist. Episode number 64, Agree to Disagree. Episode number 83, one of my personal favorites, Russell's Teapot. I think he did an absolutely fantastic job with that. And then um, number 98, What is Joy? Which was very recent. And every time you're on, Ray, we get a bump. So I appreciate that. I guess Ray is also the leader and founder of the Facebook group 189. Okay, so thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to the chat. It's fun to finally see you face-to-face rather than just talking back and forth and texting. So tell us a little about yourself. Tell us, and I've read your bio, so I found that fascinating. I'm sure many of our listeners would as well. And maybe sometime we'll have you read that and put that on too if you'd be willing to do that. But you can tell us now to acquaint us with those who are already familiar with some of your work, a little bit about yourself, your journey to Christ, your walk with Christ, you know, your, your history, and uh, things that will get us, help us to know you better. Well, I was born into a Catholic family and uh, actually had 12 years of Catholic education, but I have had a crisis of faith that I've had to work through. Probably started uh, somewhere in middle school. A lot of changes were taking place in the church uh, as a result of Vatican II. And uh, of course, you know, churches are made of people and you don't get along with everybody. But when I was that age, I really didn't understand that. So some of the dynamics I saw going on kind of fueled it, kind of fueled some questions. Uh, Looking back, I've always been philosophical type of person. I've always been in search of the truth. I didn't have the understanding of it that I do now, of course. And uh, truth is very much part of Christianity, but so is purity. And the Catholic Church does emphasize the purity aspect of the faith over the truth. Uh, That's been commented in different ways by different people, including St. John Henry Newman, who was a cardinal and advisor to the Pope uh, back in his days. Uh, C.S. Lewis touched on it, although I don't know if he fully understood, um, you know, that particular particular perspective. So I'm looking for the truth and the people I'm around keep pushing the purity side of it. And I made a decision sometime in high school that once I was on my own, I was I was going to stop going to the church. I started becoming a pantheist, uh, not the more common definition, but the one that suggests that all religions are to a large degree truthful. Yeah. So I looked at myself that way. And for about six years, I didn't go to church. Uh, wound up getting married and then getting divorced. And it was during the divorce that uh, I came back to the church. I was going through a horrible time and uh, I could find things to do every day of the week except Sunday. So finally, one Sunday, I swallowed my pride and went back to church. And at the mass, when we uh, said the Lord's Prayer, the woman next to me reached out her hand and held mine. 
And the ironic thing is that was one of the changes the church instituted when I was younger that caused me to rebel. So I, I learned that God has a sense of humor when, when he brings people back to the faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jenny and I were just talking about that the other day too, that God clearly has to have a sense of humor because the things that happen in our lives, it's like they're calculated to make you laugh right. <laughs> and he has to enjoy it. But, uh, I learned my lesson that day. I learned it well about obedience and so I spent many years, probably close to a decade, where I was coming to the church out of obedience, but I still wasn't, my need for truth still wasn't being satisfied. But then one day, a, a minister from a non-denominational church wanted to do a book study on mere Christianity. And even though he kind of stopped doing it after we got a few chapters in, I just, I was enthralled with the book and kept reading it. And for the first time in my life, I was actually able to have that need of mine satisfied. And as the years have gone by, I look back on that and I understand Genesis 3 much, much better that discipline has to come before knowledge. And I can look back in my past and see that I was actually trying to do that backwards this whole time. But yeah, that's, that's a point that Lewis makes repeatedly, that following the doctrine, doing the job will, will bring the emotions around, will bring the, the truth to light. Yeah. Yeah. So Lewis, it's, it's neat that, I mean, you and I both have talked about this repeatedly. Lewis is such a huge towering figure. I, I can't wait to meet him in eternity and, and see what he's, you know, really like. He's, he's a fascinating, fascinating character. He's pointed me in some other directions. I'm finding George MacDonald to be truly fascinating. I've uh, read a fair amount of his work already in uh, most of his novels. I hope to get to his theological stuff his unpublished sermons and similar works here pretty soon. Yeah. I've also also become a fan of St. Newman. And one thing's interesting, all three of these men, and I could actually name some more, have all been Anglicans. Mm -hmm. I've got a deep respect for the Anglican theology because they do seem to embrace both the purity and the truth side of Christianity. And matter of fact, that was the whole point of St. Newman's book, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, was talking about that. Yeah, I, I've read bits and pieces of Newman and found it quite illuminating and probably worth reading. As you read through like the McDonald stuff, let me know what works are really hitting you. Jenny and I read for No Compromise, his short story, should we call it that? A sort of a, a fable called The Day Boy and the Night Girl. And holy cow, is that thing packed with symbolic mm -hmm. language. And I mean, the more I read it, the first time I read it, I thought, hmm, nice story. And then, I mean, I, it's like every other word, every sentence has something there to find. And so we did two no compromises on it. I don't know if you've listened to them, but um, we had so much fun doing that with um, McDonald. Um, and the only other, we, I've read some of the other stuff. We read Fantasties. Did you, have you read it? I've read through it. I actually thought that might be something you would have appreciated because it was a lot more poetic and deep, but uh, it uh, it was difficult. I mean, some things definitely came out, but so much of what you read, you just can't help but think there's something there that you're missing, yeah. at least for me anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it was interesting because as we, Jenny and I read through it, we got a lot of the same things and yet she picked up on a whole line of things that I encompassed completely missed. So mm -hmm. we, we did a first, our first no compromise on it. And we sort of, what? 
No, no, not Fantastics. Sorry, if it's not Fantastics on Day Boy and Night Girl. So we did yeah. our first, we did our first no compromise on that. And we got about three quarters of the way through it. And she's saying, you're missing stuff. So we shut the whole thing down and had about, you know, a, a 30 minute discussion about what it was. And then we finished that one off and then went back and redid it and, and picked up on the things that she's, and she was right. She's absolutely right. That was a fascinating point for me because I learned a lot about myself in that process. And some of the things that I had bought from what you and I recognize as the Hegelian worldview unconsciously and had brought it into my soul and believed it and processed things in that way. And it's like, you know, it's it's like this process of trying to track down the alien DNA that has invaded you and see it for what it is and cut it out. <laughs> so that was a, a really interesting exercise. So yeah, I'm interested in in anything else you've read by McDonald, because um, Lewis found him absolutely stunning. Oh yeah, he was the one that Lewis called the master. Right. I fell in love with Lilith. Very, um, very interesting book. I think it talks. Uh, McDonald had a hard time believing that eventually everyone would be saved. And I know that's controversial with a lot of Christians. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence that myself. If you look at his logic, it's hard to argue with it. But at the same time, he still thinks that some people will eventually just give up being stubborn. And from what I can see in human nature, there's some people I just don't have that kind of hope for. <laughs> but if you, you know, if you can put that bias aside and at least look at what he has to say, he does make some very interesting comments. A lot of his thoughts, I think, went into my the article I wrote about if atheists can be saved, Lilith and some of his other works was back in my mind. It's not that I quoted from it, but his ideas also in Hope of the Gospel, between Lilith and Hope of the Gospel, I think you get a real good understanding of what he thought about that. I Hope of the Gospel, it. I think it should be must read. Okay. Uh, Is that a sermon or? or a... No, it's a, it's a book. You, you've heard of J.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man, right? Yeah, in fact, I'm reading it right now. Okay. Right now I, for our Simple Gifts podcast, yeah. Well, they talk about different things, but I would put Hope of the Gospel in the same category that I would oh. Everlast. Okay, okay. Um, we'll have to read that one. topics, but I think you would, uh, you would agree that the two books would go well together. Okay. Behind the North Wind, when C.S. Lewis said that no one else spoke like McDonald did, I think if you read Behind the North Wind and Sir Gibby, you'll know exactly what Lewis was talking about. Okay. Unfortunately, Sir Gibby has a lot of Scottish Baroque, so some of the reading can be hard. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, it's not to the point where you can't understand what's going on in the story. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I'm not familiar with any of those. So Jenny and I are always, of course, looking for new materials to read. So that'll be fun to be able to pick up on some of that. Yeah. So uh, I guess my short list right now would be uh, Hope of the Gospel, Lilith, Sir Gibby and uh, Behind the North Wind. Okay, good. Uh, when I get to his sermons and stuff and, and such, I'm sure this list is going to grow. I have a devotional Lewis did where, you know, there's 360 quotes from McDonald and a lot of them come from uh, his Unspoken Sermons collection. And, okay. Uh, those are, I've just made a point. I'm going to read that every year. I'll just start at the beginning when January 1st comes around. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to his unspoken sermons just based on what Lewis pulled out of them. Okay. 
but I think that's enough reading for now. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, we have a book. We have a book coming from the library on the science of the brain, left brain versus right brain, by Ian McGilchrist, and we're kind of looking forward to reading that one too. I, I sent out a, a YouTube video on that. That's just, I think, stunning. So I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's definitely worth watching if you're interested mm -hmm. in that science. Yeah. So in terms of formalities, I've got no more formalities. We just need to talk now. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. I've recently joined a men's group from a nearby church, not the one I go to, but talk about all kinds of things. And uh, so much of what you've taught me about Hegel, um, I bring into these conversations. You know, so many people realize that there's a problem and some of them can even say why it's a problem, but they still don't seem to understand where it's all coming from. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I've got a paper that's currently 34 pages long right now. It's only its second draft. But I go from Pythagoras all the way to Kimberly Crenshaw trying to connect all these dots so people can understand what's going on. And, you know, people like Pythagoras and Aristotle, I include so you know what right looks like. And then you need to know what right looks like so you can understand how it's gotten perverted. Yeah. Well, Ray's got an, you, you, you've got a stunning mind, actually. You've not gone to school for philosophy, but you're as bright as most of the philosophers that I went to school with. So you're, you're, you're amazing in what you're able to pull together from the, the readings that you do and, and the, you know, the other things that you, the information that you pull from. I've always amazed at what you're able to, um, to, to bring together, especially in your writing. It's really good. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Is, is everything available in 189? Uh, the everything I've published so far is on the website 189.com. Okay. Um, of course, being the website as opposed to Facebook, there's no opportunity to comment on it. But right. That hasn't been a real issue anyway. Yeah. I get a lot of thumbs ups and things like that on Facebook, but people tend not to comment too much. Mm -hmm. Do you do you have a group that's associated with that of people that you know fairly well? In one hundred, I've not done much with it because I've just so swamped and doing the things that we're doing. But oh, yeah, yeah it, it seems as though you must have a devoted group of followers because whenever you're on the Christian atheist, it's like I like I said, I get a really substantial bump. So they they must be coming over to to listen. <laughs> well, I have uh, well over a hundred people on Facebook, so potentially, you know, every time I post this stuff on on the Facebook group, potentially over a hundred people get to see it. And uh, I do think you got a good thing going. I think people are much more interested in, in podcasts than in paper anymore, especially, you know, at work, people can, you know, just listen to podcasts while they do their, while they do their jobs and, you know, helps yeah. them, helps time go by. So I, a little bit and you, I think are the only listener that we're aware of that worked your way through our entire corpus. <laughs> of the Christian atheist, which is why we sent you that shirt, that T-shirt. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the Christian atheist is a, a difficult run for most people, I think. I, I guess I tend to speak at too high of a level and I get in trouble with that. Jenny tells me all the time that I need to bring it down a little bit. And I, I try, and I think we've made some success, hopefully, this last season has seemed to be a little bit more, I won't say watered down, but a little bit less complex and a little bit less dense, I think, and I hope. So we'll see. We're not exactly setting the world on fire, but you've been a good friend all the way through it. And uh, you fought with me in the trenches with people who were um, 
coming against us, the hard critics. So I've, I enjoyed those battles with you. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.